This, this morning's scripture passage is taken from Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 33. I'll be reading both Spanish and English. Así que no le temáis, porque nada hay encubierto que no haya de ser manifestado, ni oculto que no haya de saberse. Lo que os digo en tinieblas, decidlo en la luz, y lo que oís al oído, proclamadlo desde las azoteas. Y no temáis a los que matan el cuerpo, mas el alma no puede matar. Temed más bien aquel que puede destruir el alma y el cuerpo en el infierno. No se venden dos pajarillos por un cuarto. Con todo, ni uno de ellos cae a tierra sin vuestro padre. Pues aún vuestros cabellos están todos contados, así que no temáis, mas valéis vosotros que muchos pajarillos. A cualquiera, pues, que me confiese delante de los hombres, yo también le confesaré delante de mi Padre que está en los cielos. Y a cualquiera que me niegue delante de los hombres, yo también le negaré delante de mi Padre que está en los cielos. Matthew chapter 10, 26 to 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be not revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all, are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the <clears throat> way in which you have handed down scripture to us. And we know that you send out your word with purpose. And you intend it to accomplish all of your will. So Lord, I, I ask that your word would accomplish everything that you attend, intend for us to receive this morning. And most of all, I pray you would let us each receive encouragement to continue to believe in you and to trust in you in the face of persecution, difficulty, attack, mockery. Cause us to love you, Lord Jesus, more than we love even our own lives. And I pray that every one of us who are your children in this room would be faithful to your name and never be ashamed of your name. Would you grow that love within us? And Lord, we... We admit there are many times we have failed. Yet I pray that the effect of these words today would be to embolden us never to deny the name of Jesus. May we cherish your sweet name. And Lord Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Difficult things probably cause us to want to abandon the mission that we're on or the calling that is on our lives. And you're, if you're looking with me in Matthew chapter 10, we are, we're moving through Matthew, as you know. 
But we, even this morning, have heard that um, there are often attacks that would come for those who want to stand for biblical principles. There's challenges that we would bump into, and fear can come. And the question is, does fear have any place in our lives? Uh, Is fear something that should have no place in the life of the Christian? Or is there a proper place for fear in the lives of believers? And if so, what place and whom should we fear? What should we fear, if anything at all? And fear is the dominant point. If you're looking at this paragraph with me, and I I invite you to hold your Bible open in chapter 10, uh, fear is used four times in this phrase, and repeated words in Scripture Uh, points us to the emphasis of what uh, the author, in this case, it's Jesus who's doing the speaking, what he intends to communicate. So fear is the dominant notion. And so where does that come to us? So what we're going to do this morning is just listen to what Jesus has said to his disciples. He spoke these words to the 12 disciples and then asked the question, what, if anything, does this say to us? Uh, What should we hear and take away from Uh, this portion of scripture this morning. And to give you a little background, if you look at the previous paragraph, what Jesus has just said to his disciples is essentially the fact that persecution will come. He's sending them out to take the the message of the gospel into the surrounding regions. So he's he's charging them with, with proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven has come. And he has said, go and proclaim this in in the regions where they are. They're probably around the Sea of Galilee. So in those regions, go and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he says, I want you to also practice the power of the kingdom. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to heal the sick and, and raise the dead. And he charges them with practicing the power of the kingdom. We see that in verse 8, back in the previous paragraph. But he says, persecution will come when you do this. When you go out and you proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, if you're wondering what the gospel was, we heard a nice exposition of the gospel last week, then uh, carried us through the gospel. And essentially, the call um, is upon these, these men, these disciples, to go and say to the world, that which separated you from God is now removed. I'm going to put the gospel in our context as we're living post-resurrection uh, and ascension. Right? God has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. We, the human condition, is one of separation from God, and we need to be drawn near to him. And, and the gospel is there is a way for that to happen. There is a, you were created for a union, a communion with God the Father. We were built for relationships. That's the way God created us. And when we are separated, everything falls apart. Everything feels disjointed. And we, our greatest need is to be reunited with the creator who made us. Sin is what separates us from him. And Jesus has come to put away sin. Or as Paul said, Jesus came, sorry, John said this. He said, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Right? The devil would destroy you and keep you from God. And Jesus has come to bring you to God. That's the gospel. And understanding how that happens is part of what we're doing. And Jesus said, I want you to go and tell this to people. But you need to know persecution is going to happen. So that's the previous paragraph. You're going to get beaten. You're going to get arrested. You're going to get indicted. You're going to get dragged in before courts. You're going to be flogged. 
All of this is going to happen on account of my name. And the point of this paragraph this morning is to keep you going in the, in the face of persecution. Jesus is, is aiming at giving you strength, his disciples strength, to keep proclaiming the truths of the kingdom and keep practicing the power of the kingdom despite the opposition to that. He wants his disciples to keep going. And so he says in verse 26, do not fear them. The them are the persecutors. That's who he's referring to. He's referring back to the them. And he's going to offer five encouragements to keep going in the face of persecution. Let me just list them and then we'll take a look at them. First, he's going to say that the sins of your persecutors will one day be exposed. So keep going. Don't feel like God doesn't see. Keep going. Second, he's going to say the message of the kingdom must be proclaimed. It must go out. It must be shouted from the rooftops. Third, he is going to say, you ought to fear offending God far more than you fear offending men. Fourth, he is going to say that God cares for you and watches over his messengers in in ways you don't even understand. And then finally, he's going to say, if you speak up for me now, I will speak up for you later. So let's take a look at these. Number one, in verse 26, the sins of the persecutors will be exposed and punished. So don't give up. Uh, Look at verse uh, 26. So have no fear of them, the persecutors, for nothing is hidden that will not be revealed or uh, hidden that nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. How is that sentence an encouragement to keep going in the face of, of adversity? It, I think it's because when you're being persecuted for doing what is right and sharing the good news about the love of God and how he has overcome sin and, and brought a way for humanity to be reunited with him, if you're sharing the truth of how good God is and somebody's persecuting you for that, you're going to think, why me? I'm doing what you want me to do. Why am I suffering? So why do they get away with this? Right? This is the cry of the psalmist. This is the cry of Job. Lord, I've done what I'm supposed to do. So how are you letting wicked people abuse your children and get away with it? In the voice of the words of the psalmist, why do the wicked prosper? They, they grow old and they have nice houses and lots of grandkids. Where are you? Right? This is the cry of thinking that, that the unjust treatment of, of people who are obedient to Christ, who are being persecuted by those who hate Christ, we want to give up when that happens. We just want to, we think God doesn't see. If, are you blind, Lord? And what does it say? Jesus says, don't worry. Everything that's hidden will one day be exposed. Everything that is covered will one day be seen. God will bring it all to light. Don't let this stop you. So when you're tempted to give up, when you think they're getting away with it, just relax. Be confident. God, entrust yourself to a faithful creator. One day he will put all things right. It'll all come out. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't let this keep you from proclaiming the gospel and practicing the power of the kingdom. Don't worry. 
It might look like God doesn't see, but he does. So that's the first thing. Keep going. It'll all come out. Everything will come out and be seen one day. Secondly, the message of this gospel is worthy of being proclaimed. The message of the gospel is worth being proclaimed. Look at verse 27 with me. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. I think what this means is, you know how when the disciples would often walk with Jesus and he would preach in public and then, you know, 90% of the time they're all confused and, and they get home and they sit down around the campfire, maybe that's the dark, right? and he, they're whispering, they're all sitting together and they say, Jesus, what, what the heck did you mean back then? And he explains, he, he is saying to his disciples, everything I've told you in the quiet of the inner rooms, you now go out and shout it from the housetops. The gospel message that we've talked about sitting around the darkness of the campfire, go shout it in the daylight. Go take the goodness of the gospel and proclaim it. Don't be shy. So what I tell you in the dark, go and proclaim it loudly because this gospel needs to be told. The truth of the gospel needs to be claimed and proclaimed. So believe it and then share it. Because what is the gospel? We heard last week, at great cost, Christ laid down his life so that we could come alive to the things of God, right? 1 Peter 2.24 says this, he himself, Jesus, bore, uh, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Right? It's his work who has granted us life, but it was costly to him, and yet he did it. So don't let his work be void. Proclaim it. Share the good news. There is healing. There is life. There is forgiveness of sins. So this, this message, it's worthy to be spoken, is Jesus' point here. You can't keep a good message to yourself. You have to share it. And we know that, don't we? Everything you love and enjoy, you can't help but commend. You, if, you're, if you're an artist in this room and you love art, well, I guarantee before you go home today, you're going to say, yeah, have, have you ever considered looking at this piece? Or have you ever considered art? Or if you love fast cars, <laughs> Corvettes, don't you? Aren't they beautiful? You love whatever it is. Can't say that about the Patriots these days. But <laughs> right, whatever it is you love, you're going to talk about it. If, you are, if, if the goodness is coming out, you're going to share it. This is a message that needs to be shared, is what Jesus is saying. Third, verse 28, he says, you ought to fear God far more than you fear men. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's saying to his disciples, Don't fear those who can merely end your life, right? Fear him who has the authority to condemn your soul to hell. And all they can do is kill your body. What about the soul? Think long-term is what Jesus is saying to them. Think long-term. Don't stop and think short-term. And who's he talking about here? He is talking about God the Father. Who has the authority to send the soul to hell? It is only God alone. And so he ought to be feared. This is not, he's not talking about Satan. Satan does not have that authority. Satan can't go two feet without getting permission from God. We learned that from the book of Job. 
Right, God said, you can go thus far and no further. He obeyed. And the Bible tells us Satan is going to one day be cast into hell. Who's going to be doing that casting? It is God the Father. So the one to fear is God the Father. And if you need some help, um, in my daily reading this morning, I commend to you chapter 76 in the Psalms. Here's what I read this morning. This is talking about the God of Judah. His name is great. Glorious are you and majestic like the mountains. The men, the mighty men were stripped of their spoil. When they stood before you, they fainted when you spoke. At your rebuke, they passed out. I'm summarizing here. And then we get down to verse seven says, you are to be feared, O God of Jacob. You who stand above, when your anger is roused, who can stand before you? He, God is the one to be feared. And then you flip to the end. Make your vows to the Lord God and perform them. Let everyone bring him gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirits of princes, he who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. It's talking about God the Father. So when you think about who do you fear? Some of us struggle with the fear of man. We don't want to offend people. We we fear uh, setting off someone. And We should. We we don't need to unnecessarily fear people. When it comes, though, to Jesus and his messengers, what he is saying is, I'm charging you with speaking about the kingdom. Don't stop speaking about the kingdom because you're afraid someone's going to get mad at you. And and we're called to be wise, so I'm not saying you need to skip your work and start preaching. It's not what I'm saying. But he's saying here, Proclaim the gospel when it is right. Don't let the fear of anyone stop you from saying what you know to be true about the gospel and about God the Father. He's saying, think about what God is going to say to you at the end of your life, not what those around you are going to say to you. Think about them. And he says, because if, even if they kill you, all they can do is, is put your body in the grave. Your soul is something else to consider. That's the eternal part of you. And so consider him who can consign your soul to hell in in factoring who do you want to fear most? Who do you most want to please? And so we, we ask this question, do we fear God rightly enough? Psalm 76, he cuts off the spirits of princes, meaning the mightiest of men, powerless, in the, front, in the face of God, who is our creator. And so we ought to fear him rightly and appropriately. Don't fear men, fear God. Let there be a proper sense of respect in the Lord. I think we've probably lost this, haven't we, as a culture? Do we ever talk about the fear of the Lord? You know, moms and dads, when we're mad, I'll put the fear of God in you. And what we mean is me, right? But yet, where is the fear of God? Is there an appropriate way that that ought to be a part of our lives? And when you think about this verse, um, one footnote is some evangelical scholars such as John Stott and others who uh, would say that this points to a uh, doctrine of annihilationism, um, that the soul actually ceases to exist at some point because God, and we think about hell, um, yes, maybe some go to hell, but the soul doesn't exist forever. It comes to a point where the soul ceases to exist. This is also called conditional immortality. 
some look here to say that Jesus is saying this because he who destroys the soul in hell, assuming that destroy means to con- uh, not exist any longer. But the Bible consistently teaches us that just as communion with God in heaven lasts forever for the righteous, so condemnation in hell lasts forever in hell for those who are the wicked. This is taught throughout scripture. Uh, Daniel 12.2, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Keyword there, everlasting. Right? Jesus says in Mark 9 that uh, the worm in hell never dies and the fire is never quenched. Jesus also says in Matthew 25, 41, speaking about his condemnation for those who have rejected him, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 46 Jesus says, in respect of the destinies of of the righteous and the wicked, these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. So just as the punishment of the wicked is eternal, so the happiness of the righteous is eternal. Paul affirms this same doctrine, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Notice Paul says eternal destruction. So it's not an end of the soul. It is a continual corrupt environment and all that the condition of the soul is experiencing. And so hell is a doctrine we need to think about as Christians. It's a hard doctrine. And yet we find it in God's word. And where we stand in um, finding Many truths in Scripture are difficult. We must be faithful to what we find in Scripture. This, this truth is also affirmed at the very end of the book. Revelation 14, 11 says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. This is the fate of those who don't hear the gospel message and believe in Jesus. In Revelation 20, 10, the devil, and who had... He had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So just as Jesus taught that the the happiness of the righteous endure forever, so the the torment of those who reject the, the precious blood of Jesus will also endure forever. And this truth we cannot be silent about. Jesus preaches about hell and it ought to motivate us. Not out of this incomprehensible fear that paralyzes us, but out of a deep truth that needs solid consideration in order for us to say there's a way of escape. There is a way to avoid that punishment that we find talked about in scripture. So don't let offending some person prevent you from speaking the truth. Think about God in heaven. Let your fear and your reverence be of him. Let your desire be of pleasing him in what he has said to us. So that's the third motivation. Let the fear of God and offending him far outweigh your fear of man. And Jesus is not saying don't respect the people around you. He's not saying be a rude testifier. He is saying don't let anything stop you from proclaiming the truth. And proclaim it with all your heart. Fourth, we see that God cares for and watches over his messengers. Look at verses 29 to 31. 
So after talking about hell, here now Jesus says this. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not, therefore, for you're of more value than many sparrows. When we're suffering, we tend to think that God is absent, he is far away, and he doesn't care. When, when we're in the midst of a painful situation, our heart cries out, Lord, why don't you fix this? Why don't you remove me from this difficult situation? Why don't you take away the, the suffering? It, where are you? Isn't that what we say? Where is God in the middle of the suffering? He's gone. He's absent. And he doesn't care. He's off running the universe or whatever he's doing. He doesn't care about me. And what does Jesus say? He says, I want you to know something about your father. Little birds don't fall to the ground apart from the attention of God the Father. He picks something insignificant, worth a couple pennies, right? Birds are a couple of pennies to get a couple of them, and yet none of them die without the attention of God the Father. Every time, I I run a lot, I see dead birds on the side of the the road a lot. Every time I pass a dead bird, I think of this verse. And and I, I stop and think, the Lord knows He knows this little, whatever happened. He sees. It's like God attends the funeral of little birds. And and we think, he doesn't care about me. And Jesus is saying, he does. He does care about you. You think he doesn't, but he does. In fact, he's near. We think he's far away, don't we? He's off somewhere. He's not close to me. And what does Jesus say? He's counted your hairs. You've got to be pretty close to count hair, don't you? Nate's got a good head of hair. I have no idea how many's there. But if I get close, I can start picking and we can start counting. He's near. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? He's close to you. And Jesus cares more about you than you care about you. Nate, do you know how many hairs you have on your head? Does anybody in the room know how many hairs is on you? You don't even care about your hair. And God does. He's got them all numbered. He knows what you're going through. So when you are tempted to think that he is far away, don't believe it. Believe the words of Jesus. And when you're tempted to stop talking about the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of God the Father, don't. Let the tension of God the Father, because you can say to him, he's near, help me. Give me the words to say, help me, and he will answer. That's the fourth encouragement to keep going. Fifth, the the fifth encouragement to keep speaking. Jesus says, if you speak for me now, I'll speak up for you later. Verses 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, notice how the gospel suddenly comes right down to Jesus. The kingdom, which Jesus is sending them to preach, the kingdom of God now focuses in on Jesus. Amazing to me. And he says, everyone who acknowledges, he says me. He didn't say God. He says, if you acknowledge me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before the father in heaven. Here's a a promise to his disciples. If you go out and you are unashamed about the name of Jesus, Jesus says, when you get to heaven, I will not be ashamed of you. 
If you stand up today in the middle of suffering and you speak for my name at the last day, I will stand up for you. I will claim you. You claim me today, I will claim you tomorrow. This is the promise of Jesus and he expects it. And he says, if you deny me today, I will deny you on the last day. If you deny me and you, you hate my name or you turn away or like Peter, I don't know him. He says, I will, I will do the same to you. And, and I know every one of you, you've probably failed at this, right? You can think of a time when you have denied the Lord. Peter did it. We got a clear example. Peter failed to acknowledge the name of Jesus. He was ashamed. I, I don't even know the guy. Yeah, I'm a Galilean. I got a weird accent. I don't know him. And so what do we do when we fail? You ask for forgiveness. What happened to Peter? Did, did Jesus say to him, you know, Peter, one shot, you're out, dude. He did not. He said, do you love me, Peter? Yes. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then go and, go and spread my name. Go and feed my sheep. There's forgiveness. When, when we have failed, and I'm sure you're thinking of 10,000 instances when you have failed. I, I, I think of 10th grade in Mr. Overturf's Spanish class. He was picking on Christians one day, and I knew at this moment, he was making fun of, I don't remember exactly what he was saying, but it was not uncommon for Mr. Overturf to make fun of Christians. I knew in that moment I should say, I'm a Christian, I should, I should confess my faith in Christ. I knew I should. My heart nearly leaped out of my chest. And it so terrified me that I would look like an idiot because Mr. Overturf was a sharp guy. And I'm sure if we got into an argument, he would eviscerate me. So I said nothing. I did not say a word. I just kept quiet. And I felt so strongly convicted I remember it to this day. But I went home. I asked for forgiveness. I said, Jesus, I'll never do that again. I took every Spanish class Mr. Overturf had for the next three years. I guess it was two. Sophomore year, freshman, senior, and junior and senior year. I made sure Jim Overturf knew that I was a Christian. And when I graduated, he said to me, you know, Cravens, you're not so bad. Coming from him, I took that as a compliment. But, so, Señor Overturf, si me estás escuchando, lo doy gracias a Dios que me hayas enseñado español. So when you speak in tongues, you're supposed to give an interpretation. So, <laughs> I, Mr. Overturf, if you're listening, I thank you for teaching Spanish. Went on a little mission trip to Mexico, and as soon as I got back, I went to Jim Overturf, and I said, you know what? I took that Spanish you taught me, and I went and told him about Jesus down there. <laughs> I wonder if Mr. Overturf loves Jesus, but uh, we can't be shy about speaking for our Lord. He is a sweet and loving Savior. He laid down his life for you. And, and the goodness of God in all of his wonderful plan, he holds out to anyone and he says, will you come? Will you come to me? Will, will you come and, and fall down before me and I will welcome you home? 
All of the promises of scripture are yes through Jesus. All of his wonderful goodness, he says to you, yes. And what do you want to hear on the last day when you stand before God? What do you, what do you want to hear Jesus say? Amen. Yeah. I don't want him to say to me, Todd, you were ashamed of me all your life. Never spoke my name. Just, I don't know you. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear Jesus saying, well, Cravens, you know what? Welcome home. I I made a place for you. I I, I want to hear that. I want to hear my Lord say, welcome home. And and yes, Todd Cravens, he's with me. That's what I want to hear. So when, when you think about this verse, what do you hear Jesus saying? He, he is saying to us, are you my disciple? That's the first question. Are you following me? That's the most critical question any of us can ask is, have I surrendered? Have I given my life to Jesus? Has he poured his spirit into me? Am, am I walking with him? That's the first question. And I pray, if you're not yet a disciple, if you don't know you have the Spirit of God, don't leave today without knowing, because you can know. Secondly, he is saying to us, he gives us the same mission that he gave to his, the 12. He said, before he ascended into heaven, go make disciples of all nations. That's, that's a huge task. So we need to go out and share the gospel. We're on the same mission that he sent those 12. And so this, this applies to us This is for you and me. And so don't let the opposition squash your ability to talk about Jesus. Don't let the world push you into silence. Stand up and spread the good news. This this message is worthy of being proclaimed. The world needs to hear it. Needs to be shouted from the rooftops. And also, the message of the gospel is the only message of salvation. There is no other way to be saved. And so will we share a good and great message about a good and great God who sent his only son so that we could enjoy his goodness? And then don't fear men, but rather fear the Lord. Don't fear offending people for the sake of silencing the gospel. Don't be rude messengers, but but clear proclaimers of a message. And if the message is offensive, that's one thing. But your mannerisms, don't be offensive there. But don't be afraid to offend people by telling the truth when it is motivated out of love. Because the love of God fills us when we are speaking on his behalf. And don't think that your suffering is not seen by God the Father. When you're you're passed over for the promotion, when you're not invited to the party, when you're left out, There is a way in which God sees everything. He knows the details of your lives. So don't think he's forgotten you. And don't be afraid to speak up for Jesus. Right? If we speak for him now, here on this life, he will one day speak for us. And that's what we want to hear. So if we've failed in doing so, pray, ask for forgiveness. He gives it. He is a good and gracious and merciful God. He, He grants grace. And so receive it. Confess your sins. Ask for strength. And and I invite you, pray for a way that you can speak on behalf of Jesus this week. As as we close, you think about, is there anything good that you have received from Christ? If there's the goodness of God in your life, that will be easy to talk about. 
It will be very easy to share what you have experienced that is good. And so let that be part of the motivation from which we speak this week. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are weak and frail. We are timid and we lack courage in and of ourselves. But by the fullness of your spirit, if you supply the strength, we can be bold for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, I ask you, would you fill your people this week, right now, so that we would love your name and not be ashamed of your name. Let us be courageously bold for the sake of the gospel. Let us never shy away from an open door for speaking about the goodness of the kingdom of heaven. And Father, I I ask you, fill us with such a, a strong conviction of your goodness, your power, your love, your attention to detail, that we would be happy to speak about the name of Jesus throughout the course of this week. And Lord, I ask if there's anybody listening to my voice that does not know that they are your child, would you please grant them the faith to cry out to you in confessing sins and asking for forgiveness and asking for adoption and asking for you to fill them with your spirit. Bring salvation to those who need it today and give strength to those who are weak today for the sake of the name of Jesus and the goodness of the gospel and the proclamation of the truth whereby any soul can be saved who would confess their faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray this in your sweet name. Amen.